Well, we're going to look at Psalm 19 this morning. We're only going to look at the first six verses. My plan was the full psalm. It's only 14 verses longer, 17 verses longer, something. And uh, But as I got into it, I just felt the richness of the passage. I didn't want to uh, go over it too quickly. The reason, now, I, I was asked to come and speak here, and I knew I could, I could pick any passage in the Bible I wanted. Right? And I can pick any past sermon I have in the past and do it, right? But my life is changing. Um, no, I'm not running out with another woman. <laughs> um, my life is, is changing. I'm 65 now, and everything is different. You know, when I turned 60, it was like, boom. And when I turned 65, it was like, wow, that's an explosion. Life changes. So, um, when I look back on my time, the Lord got a hold of me at 16 years old and dramatically changed my life. And from that point on, I knew I wanted to be in the ministry. And I've pursued that ever since, relentlessly, never stopped. And, and it's been a great blessing and I'm very, very grateful to the Lord about that. But when I look back on my life of ministry, what I was really attracted to in the Word of God was I wanted to understand salvation. I wanted to understand the atonement. I wanted to understand the mechanics of everything. I was one of these people that would just immerse myself in Romans and in Galatians and in Hebrews and then in the book of Revelation. It was, it was like I wanted deep, rich, wonderful theology. And the heavier, the better, and the more, the better. Well, it's different now. You know what I want to hear about all the time? I want to hear about who my God is. I want, I want, to, I want to mellow in the attributes of God. I want, I want to go to the Word for comfort and encouragement and hope and, and all the blessings that God can give. So I find myself at this point in my life, I always end up, when I have a chance to just sit down and read the scriptures, I always find myself in the book of Psalms. And in, in the early part of my life, the book of Psalms was poetry, I don't get it. And it was all this stuff that, you know, where's the meat, you know, kind of thing. But at this point in my life, I go to the Psalms and it speaks to me and God helps me and it gives me all that I need. It's like, it's like rich food for me right now. So, having the opportunity to do whatever I wanted, I chose Psalm 19. And so this morning we're going to just cover the first six verses so that I'm not a long-winded preacher like my daughter says. <laughs> and I do... Uh, end up needing this a lot of the nerves. Um, so I want to begin with something, and I'm going to be a little bit redundant for one page, if you put up with me. If you look at Psalm 19, it's in two sections. There's the verses 1 through 6 is about the creation of God, and verses 7 through 14 is about the Word of God. In those two sections, there are also two different names of God used. 
In verses 1 through 6, we see that God is always referred to as El, or what we're more commonly aware of, Elohim, God, and that's the universal name of God, a sovereign, a powerful sovereign. That's the imagery behind Elohim, a majestic on his throne, the God of all power, all wisdom, and all everything. That's Elohim. So today we're going to be looking at a section of scripture where that's the God we're looking at. When you get to the second section, it's about the word of God and the name of God changes. It's the word Yahweh. It's the word Lord. It's the covenant name of God. It is the relation side of God. They're both, you can't distinguish them separately and as if they're black and white and separate. They're, this is all one God. But it's God who is our covenant Lord, who cares for us, who loves us, who nurtures us, who saves us, who's with us, who helps us. And in, in that section, it is God speaking to his people. There are also, you could say, two books in the Psalms. There's the book of the revelation of the creation, by creation. In other words, there's the book of God's world, and it's like a picture book. That's verses 1 through 6. Verses 7 through 14, it's a book about the law of God, God's scriptures. And that's a word book, because it's telling us what we need to know. There are two truths of God in Psalm 19. God is the creator, and God is the revealer of his will and his word and his ways. The revelation of God is also seen through two mediums. Verses 1 through 6 is the general revelation of God. It is the revelation of God that everyone on the planet can see, should see, and should respond to. And then 7 through 14, the special revelation of God, the glory of God who has written his word for his people and ultimately beyond that gave us his son as his word to us. As we know John calls him the word of God in the Gospel of John. Also some say about this passage that verses 1 through 6 is about the it's about the glorious giver of the law. And some would say 7 through 14, it's the law of the glorious giver. Some say that there's two psalms. Some people would like to say that this first six verses is about nature. It's a nature psalm. And the other psalm is a didactic or a teaching psalm. And I would say... Some of those characteristics may well be true, but there's no question in my mind this is one psalm with everything we need to know about the revelation of God. It is a psalm of David, who wrote approximately 75 of the, of the 150 psalms that we have. So if you'll follow me, if you want to follow me with the scripture, um, let's begin with verse 1. The glory of God is revealed in creation. He's, it's the glory of the creator. That's verse 1. Here's what it says. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are declaring, I'm sorry, I misplayed. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the word here that is crucial is declare. The, the concept of declaring, it's a participle. It means that God continues relentlessly to declare who he is, his glory. It's a pouring out or a pouring forth of himself in, in, in the creation that all might come to him. God's glory, we could have lots of sermons about that. I'm sure you've heard them. God's glory is his total attributes, who he is, and what he has done. It's the work of his hands. And what the, what the psalmist here is saying is, the universe is essentially a loud, powerful announcement system. It declares the glory of the creator of the planet that we're all living on. Um, while this truth is for those with the eyes of faith, we, we relish these verses, right? The reality of this first six verses is it's an, an advertisement to all the nations of the world and for all history to see and understand and know the God of this world. It literally is a universe, a universal message. Um, the skies, then he says, proclaim the work of his hands. Now you have declaring and you have pro proclaiming. The heavens and the, and the skies, some of these translations will call it the firmament. In the heavens we see it all at night when God turns the lights on. That's what we see. That's the heavens that the psalmist is talking about. When the lights come on at night, you see the glory of God infinitely. Countless multitudes of stars, planets, comets, everything that we see in the night sky. The firmament is something that in the ancient world, they looked up into the skies, the blue skies, the clouds, the birds, and everything, the rains, and all of that, but they couldn't see the universe anymore. So the thinking was that it's like there's a great big dome over us. And, and so the skies, you have the universe, which is lit up at night, and you have the skies, the uh, firmament, which is the, the glory of God seen in the creation of uh, the skies. The bottom line is that all of God's creation displays and announces the endless glory of God. His, it's a bullhorn, it's a trumpet, he's proclaiming himself in creation. His creativity, his beauty, his wisdom, his majesty, his skill, his amazement, his power, his perfections, his greatness, his wonders. In a sense, the way I've been looking at this for a long time now is the universe and the skies, our, our planet, 
is the most wonderful art gallery that could ever be imagined. God is the consummate artist. He is the greatest architect. He is the greatest designer. He is the developer, the inventor, the creator, the craftsman, the engineer of everything that we see and everything that we know. It's a monumental display of the greatest art that could ever be understood in, in our world. So God's uh, revelation reads loud and clear and all the time. God is never without witness anywhere and never at any time. Everywhere under the sun, all the time, it's crystal clear to all who do not willingly suppress the truth, Romans 1.18, that you heard word, word, uh, uh, spoken this morning. Uh, they suppress this, the truth, obscuring in a sinful cloud of unrighteousness, and they refuse to give glory to a glorious God, this greatest, greatest artist. It's interesting that the psalmist here says this is his handiwork. Um, I used to have a company as a contractor called Handiwork Home Services. It's the small stuff. If you think of handiwork that you might do around your house, it's a work of your fingers. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're fixing this. It's all small stuff. Well, what we have here is this is called, the universe is called, the world is called God's fingerwork. It's just the work of his fingers. It's a way of, it, of exalting the incredible greatness and glory of God that uh, with unparalleled perfect, perfections. Let's go now to verses 2 and 3. And I'm going to just read those. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Day after day, they pour forth speech. The concept there is the, the word of God, the revelation of God, just keeps on bubbling up out of the earth. If you could also say that the, um, that, the, that the skies just keep on raining truths about who God is and what he's done. And his, his incredible glory. It's, a, it's an interesting concept that, that this just, out of all his creation, this, this message just keeps on bubbling out to everyone in, in God's creation. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So in the darkness, we're taught, we're learned, we learn more about God. So we can, we can love this world, we can, you know, well, let me just throw this in. One of the greatest experiences I've had in anything relating to this was some years ago, Joni and I, uh, now that we could, the kids are all gone, we could take a vacation. And I think we took at that time a month off, rented a little trailer, and we went down, you know, Utah, Arizona, and all those places, and we, we went and visited 10 national parks. And we went hiking, and we were up on cliffs, and. We, we saw the most amazing things, stunning things. It was almost overwhelming. And that vacation, above anything else I've ever gone, anywhere I've gone, 
has stuck with me about the incredible power, the greatness, the glory, the beauty, the, the intricacies of God. And he's put that all out there as a testimony and a witness to every human being who has ever walked on the face of the earth to know. And then it says here, not only does, does the, do the, in the daytime, pours out speech on us, but at night it reveals knowledge that, about God. And then it says they have no speech, they use no words, there's no sounds heard from them, and yet their voice, the voice of creation, the glory of God goes out to all the world their words to the end of here. So that's the message so far of this. Now, I just put a footnote in here. Some interpret this as uh, that maybe it's wherever there are people, languages, and so forth, anywhere in the world, everyone sees this. Everyone knows this. So what... What we're coming to understand here is what Psalm 19 is saying is the, the truth, the understanding, the visibility of the glory of God is everywhere in the world to the ends of the earth and is available for the human race to see 24-7, 365. This is, the, this is the extent of the glory of God. I put it this way, everywhere, everyone, every day, every night, and incessant from the very second of creation, it's been that way. And then, in our last section here, we're going to see that the psalmist then gives us an illustration to help us understand and reinforce what, the, what these verses have said so far. So, um, verses 4 through 7. Uh, 4 through 6, I'm sorry. Um, well, okay. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Wow, what's that? It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived from its, of its warmth. So what's the poetic message? The poetic message refers to this. The sun disappears every day. We're, all ta we're talking about phenomenological imagery, right? Every day the sun comes up, every day the sun goes down, and it disappears. Um, it goes under the, the poetic imagery. It's like God has a garage parked up there, and the sun goes into the garage, a tabernacle, a tent garage, okay? And God has designed it that way, that it goes into the cover of tent, and then there is darkness and light. And at night, and then I say, and then God turns on all the lights of the universe for us to see. Um, the sun, and, but then the sun comes out, 
and it makes its circuit around the Earth. Okay, or its circuit of going out and coming back again, non-logical, as they saw it then. In the morning, the sun awakens and it runs its course to the ends of the Earth, and it's been doing that every day since creation. There's an enthusiasm about this, and he uses an illustration. It's like uh, what we would say an Olympic champion runner. What does an Olympic champion runner want to do? They want to run. They want to run fast. They want to get in a race. And when they run, it's exhilarating. And no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering, no matter how much sweating, an Olympic runner just wants to run and runs with gusto and runs with beauty. And that's kind of the imagery here. Another imagery is added that it's like a bridegroom coming out of his bedchamber. I don't know if we have too many young people here. Anyway, we've got a bridegroom. So this could either be that um, it's the day of his wedding and he is so excited about the day of the wedding that he's filled with enthusiasm and energy and power and glory, happiness. Or it could be the morning after. And he comes out on the morning after and he is elated, he is happy, and so life is great. So what he says is, God has done this most wonderful and glorious and enjoyable thing for us. And in doing so, he reveals his glory to us. Now hold on to that imagery. Because there's a theological message in Psalm 19, 1 through 6. And it's the reason we read Romans chapter 1. As the warmth of the sun touches everyone on the planet, the sun goes up, the sun goes all over the earth, every person on the planet gets touched by the sun, by its light or its warmth. Right? I mean, you can hide in caves. So also, the glory of God touches every human being born into the world and has done so every day since creation, every day of our lives, we have seen the glory of God. Every pagan, every tribe in, in some lost land, everyone experiences the sun. And therefore, in, in the imagery, what the psalmist is saying is the glory of God is so pervasive everywhere the microcosm, the macrocosm, you're digging in the dirt, you're, work, you're on an island, you're out in the ocean, you're at the bottom of the ocean, no matter where you are on the planet, you are exposed every day to the glory of God, to the attributes of God, and to the handiwork of God, to his finger, his finger work. The night, on the night, the night sky, um, reveals the reality, the greatness and goodness of God, day to day, night to night. God's handiwork shows us what he is like. He shows us his creation. He shows us his world. And so we should, we should love his creation. We should love to be out there. We shouldn't make an idol of it, but it is the art of God. 
This is the greatest art gallery in, in the world. It's creation. And, and declaring about God. The world never stops speaking to us about the goodness and glory of God. I just, you hear these things, and so I'm just going to go through fast. Our solar system, you know, we have a sun, our solar system, I think we have eight planets. I think every once in a while in the news they debate that. Nine, we have ten, whatever. But uh, we have, we live in one gallery, gallery. <laughs> we live in one galaxy. I'm, I'm told, that I just stole these from someone else, so don't blame me if they're wrong. 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone. That means 400 billion suns in our galaxy. And, and, and if I'm wrong, you can email everyone. A <laughs> um, hundred billion planets in one galaxy. In fact, I looked it up this morning, I was reading something, and the statistic actually came across, um, I don't know where I Googled it or whatever, 125 billion um, planets. And then in the universe, we, we're told that we, can, we know that we have at least 100 billion observable galaxies, right? Just how many universes are there, right? We can't see another universe. Anyway, God, the infinite wealth of creation, exhibits God's mercy, His graciousness, His generosity, um, and His glory. So the bottom line of this, this theological message is that, you know what? Everyone is without excuse. Sometimes we, we, I remember being a young Christian and just wrenching over the issue of, okay, I understand. We have Christianity in America. We have Christianity in Europe. We have missionaries going around the world. But maybe half the planet doesn't have any missionary presence. I don't know. And you kind of think, what happens to all the, quote, heathen, right? You know, what, what happens? You know what the reality of it is? <clears throat> the glory of God is present for every human being that has ever lived. So that everyone is without excuse. What they should do, even if they don't know much of God, you know the greatness, the glory of God, everyone should give thanks to this God who gave us such a richer who gave us such incredible beauty. But they don't. Isn't that what Romans 1 said? They refuse to give thanks to God. Everyone should seek God. And if there's a God who created all this, and if he's this wonderful and most glorious, you should seek to know this God of creation. And when you do, you should worship this creator alone. What is worship? I like to call it extreme love. The most extreme love you can imagine is worship. And what, what human beings should do, even by just looking around our own creation, and the, having a baby come into the world, and all the things we get to experience in life, we should have extreme love for our God, our Creator. We should seek a relationship with God. We should seek to know Him. We should seek to learn His amazing wisdom. 
We, in our post-Adamic world with horrific evils everywhere, human beings with darkened souls, corrupted sin natures, we must seek the merciful forgiveness of God. We should help people to understand there is a God who is this glorious. There is a God who is this gracious, this generous, this kind, this God who will forgive sins. This God who will lavish all his riches upon you because the greatest creation of God ultimately will be his people for eternity. Creation cannot save people, but it absolutely can condemn people. When people come to the end of their lives and they stand before the judgment seat of God, they will have no argument with God. God will say, I gave you endless, endless evidence, endless glories, endless realities about who I am, and you refuse to thank me, you refuse to worship me, you refuse to learn of me and come to know me. Let me pray. Father God, we... We thank you for this great passage and what it communicates. We thank you that it seems to me that I, I can just imagine Paul writing Romans 1 with Psalm 19 in his mind. I pray, our Father, that you would help us to think through these things, that we would hear your word, we would read your word, we would give you thanksgiving, we would give you praise, we would and trust our lives to you, for you have proven yourself worthy, and you have proven yourself wonderful and glorious. We pray for your, the kind work of your spirit now, that you might correct us, that you might encourage us, that you might um, meet our needs, that you might um, help us in all the ways that we need it. But let the word of the psalm meditate in, in us, that we might understand and look at the beauty of who you are and the wonders, the glories of all you've done and mostly what you've given us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your help. Thank you for this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>